I'm really excited to be sharing in this topic. It's a really big topic. We hope that later in the year we might dig a little deeper into science and creation in the Mind series. So for now, I'm going to skip along the surface and we're going to tackle this in three sections. Firstly, what is science? What does it do? And can science prove God? Secondly, we're going to look at what does God say about himself? And what validity does the Bible have? Thirdly, we're going to look at how can we know this indescribable God? I'd like to begin by thanking the wonderful, intelligent people of our faith community who've taken the time this week and the last couple of weeks to share resources and wisdom with me and to pray for us this morning as we unpack this very weighty question. I'm so grateful for the passion that you have for your fields of science and for humbly sharing it with me. I've had a wonderful time reading and listening and talking and asking questions and collating all that I have gleaned in the past couple of weeks. In our community, we have science teachers and university lecturers, doctors and specialists, nurses, allied healthcare professionals, mathematicians, psychologists and environmental scientists. And so I'm humbled as I stand here and scratch the surface of your field of expertise. In the wider Christian community, there are authors and teachers that have written amazing and concise prose of the intersection of faith and science. I've read John Dixon and I've watched Dr. John Lennox. I've read C.S. Lewis and articles by scientists and theologians and university papers. And this morning I will call on their wisdom too. After the service this morning, we're going to have a question and answer time in the chapel. I've asked a few scientists to join us, two of whom have PhDs in their field. If you have further questions this morning, or if I haven't touched on the questions that you bring with you this morning, please join us about 15 minutes after the service in the chapel. This week, I have put together some resources for you um, and there are, there's an embedded clip in the study notes called The Source of the Scientific Revolution by Vishal Mangalwadi. It's an excellent summary of the rise of science and I highly recommend that you take five minutes to watch it. Life group leaders, please take note that you will need to copy the link and paste it into your browser. This morning I'd like to challenge you to be curious humble, brave and kind as we look together at the question of can we believe in science and God. There should be no fear in us as we approach these questions and things like this that we don't fully understand. If we have come with an open posture, God's spirit will stir in us and reveal his truth. I would like to insert a disclaimer right about now. I am not a scientist. I desire more than anything to honour God in all that I do and all that I say and to grow more like Jesus. And on that journey, I will stumble and fall. The Holy Spirit living in me and working on me will change that over time. I'm a lifelong learner. And in that vein, I would like to share with you on this topic this morning. There is a verse in the Book of Wisdom called Ecclesiastes in our Old Testament 
that perfectly underpins everything that I would like to share with you this morning. So keep this in mind as we travel through the message. Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So, can I believe in God and science? Yes, so ends the shortest sermon that you will ever hear. I told Tammy at this point that I would drop my mic, but it's attached, so I can't. So to answer the question, we have to dig a little bit deeper, and we have to answer another layer of questions. Firstly, what is science? What does science do, and can science prove God? So science is the pursuit and application of knowledge and understanding of natural and social worlds following a systematic methodology based on evidence. It includes experiment and or observations as benchmarks for testing hypotheses. Science does not prove anything. It provides evidence for something or it doesn't provide evidence for something. Scientists are critical thinkers. They claim to arrive at conclusions based on their evidence. They apply a critical lens to their subject. Scientists are open and enter the subject without preconceived ideas, or they should. As an aside, we as Christians can learn from scientists. When we go into a discussion, are we open? Or are we defensive? And if we are defensive, why are we defensive? And what are we fearful of? Why are we threatened? These are really good questions to ask ourselves. So science falls into a broad range of categories. And it includes biology, physics, chemistry, ecology, math, economy, anatomy, statistics, logic, philosophy, laws, psychology, geography, anthropology, sociology. The Bible would claim that men became scientific in Genesis 2, verse 19. The account tells us that God brought the animals to man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called them, that was their name. Biology 101. Adam begins to name the animals. Taxonomy. High school science. Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Some of the brightest men in history, some of the brightest scientific men in history, have been Christians. Francis Bacon, he developed the scientific method, analysing data from experiments and observations, rather than using logic-based arguments like Aristotle did. Johann Kepler discovered the laws of planetary motion. Galileo convinced the world that the Earth was the centre of our solar system, not the Earth as we had previously thought. Robert Boyle founded modern chemistry. Isaac Newton discovered the laws of gravity and motion. Gregor Mendel founded genetics. Louis Pasteur discovered pasteurisation and the principles of vaccination. Thank you, Louis. Lord Kelvin is best known for inventing the international system of absolute temperature that bears his name. Christianity has never been the enemy of science. 
this list of incredible intellects firmly believed in a creator God. Francis Bacon said, God meant for us to explore the many mysteries that fill the natural world. Johann Kepler said, the chief aim of all investigation of the external world should be to discover the rational order which has been imposed on it by God and which he revealed to us using the language of mathematics. Isaac Newton said, this most beautiful system of sun, planets and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis states that science works by experimentation and it watches how things behave. He said this, I put some of this stuff into this pot and I heated it to such and such a temperature and it did so and so. But why anything comes to be there at all and whether there is anything behind the things science observes, that's something completely different. It's not a scientific question. He says, after all, it is really common sense. Supposing science ever became so complete that it knew every single thing in the whole universe, is it not plain that the questions, why is there a universe? Why does it go on as it does? Has it any meaning? Would remain just the same. So the answer to our question, can science prove God, is no. Science can only lead us to wonder at the mind behind creation. Science and faith ask very different questions. Science and faith are not at odds. There are times when they intersect. Both science and scripture reveal truth about the creator. God speaks in nature and his words are contained in the Bible. Nobel Prize winner and paleontologist Stephen Jay Gould wrote this, science gets the ages of rocks and religion the rock of ages. He goes on to say, science tries to document the factual character of the natural world and develops theories that coordinate and explain these facts. Religion, on the other hand, operates in an equally important but utterly different realm of human purposes, meanings and values. Subjects that the factual domain of science might illuminate but can never resolve. Albert Einstein wrote, science without religion is lame and religion without science is blind. How can any of us not marvel at the complexity of the human body? How can we hold a child in our arms and not have the sense of the miracle that is life? How can we witness a birth and not marvel at the complexities of who we are? King David says in Psalm 139, You have made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous, I know it well. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life is recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. 
I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. The more I have read in my Bible and in the fields of science, the more excited I have become. I love listening to passionate people expound their discoveries and I'm in awe of the way that their minds work and the things that we, mankind, have discovered. As our ability to build stronger telescopes and more accurate microscopes grows, our ability to see further into space and more microscopically just helps us discover more of what God has created. This should inspire and encourage us and remind us of the verse in Ephesians 3.11 that we read at the beginning. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. He is sovereign and his ways are far above my understanding, and that's okay. So let me ask another question. Can you believe in science and not believe in God? There are many smart people who sit in this category. And I'm sure we all know people who believe in science but not in God. Wherever we have differing opinions to someone, we need to treat them with respect like Jesus did, using that humble, curious, brave and kind lens. Remember that people walked away from Jesus too. Let me pose a couple of tricky thoughts. Can you read a book if you don't believe in authors. You can read a book because all you need to do is know how to read. But can there be a book without authors? Here's another example. Let's look at this picture. This is the desert in Jordan. It has been forged over years of wind erosion and fierce heat and wild rains. The landscape is harsh and hot and empty except for this Jeep. Let's look at the second picture. This is the same desert in Jordan. In the rocks, carved in the rocks, stands this city of Petra. Only 15% of this city has been uncovered. 85% is still underground and it's one of the seven wonders of the world. We see this city and we know that someone carved it. Not wind erosion and not rain and not heat. Someone, someone carved this complex structure. Here's another example. If you walk along a deserted beach, sand stretching for miles, the sun shining, a gentle breeze is blowing, <sighs> makes you want to go to the beach, doesn't it? In the sand up ahead, you see this. A heart is carved into the sand. Now, you don't assume for a minute that the wind and the waves and the tropical sun have moved in just exactly the right configuration to make a perfect heart carving. You assume that someone was there before you and that they drew a heart. Or perhaps you see a sandcastle. Do you assume that the wind and the waves have joined forces to create the amazing complex sandcastle structure? No. You assume that someone on the beach built a sandcastle before you walked that way. When forensic scientists look at evidence, they look at a couple things at a crime scene. They look at natural causes and they look at intelligent activity. When archaeologists uncover things, they look for the same thing. They look for natural causes 
and design or intelligent activity. How then can we look at the specified complexity of the universe or the human body and assume that there is no intelligent designer? So my second point, what does God say about himself and what validity does the Bible have? God's glory is on display all around us. King David has written some of the most amazing prose about God and we have sung some of these words this morning. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun shines at one end of the heavens and it follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Then he says in Psalm 33, May the Lord merely speaks and the heavens were created. He breathed a word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he speaks, the world began. It appeared at his command. In Psalm 12, he says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. In Psalm 8, he says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, human beings that you care for them? You made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet, all the flocks and the herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the seas, all that swim the paths of the seas. Now, these scriptures are great and inspiring and wonderful, but if you don't believe the Bible is reliable, then what it has to say is not reliable either. So what validity does the Bible have? Is the Bible a reliable document? We're going to watch a short clip by Dr. Alistair McGrath, Professor of Science and Religion at Oxford University. Textual criticism examines the number of copies of early texts that we have available to us today. And it looks at the time gap between the original document and the earliest copy that we have. And basically, the more manuscripts we have and the earlier they are, the less doubt there's going to be about the original. So let's compare the Bible to other texts in ancient history, ones that are widely used in schools and universities. Let's look at the Greek historians Herodotus and Thucydides. They both wrote in the 5th century BC. But the earliest copy of their writings that we have dates from AD 900, and that makes a 1,300-year time lapse. And even then, we only have eight copies of these manuscripts in the first place. Or look at the Roman historian Tacitus. There's a thousand-year gap between his book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies. 
Or another classic, Caesar's Gallic War, 950 years between the book being written and our first manuscript copy. And even then, we only have nine or 10 copies of these manuscripts. Again, with Livy's famous history of Rome, a 900 year gap between the book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies of this. But when it comes to the New Testament, well, it's very different. The New Testament was written between about 40 and 100 AD, and we have manuscript evidence going back as early as 130 AD, and full manuscripts by 350 AD. And we have more than 5,300 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin translations, and 9,300 others. So, you know, we can be pretty confident in the accuracy, the authenticity, and the integrity of the New Testament scriptures that have been passed down to us today. The remarkable thing about the Bible is there's such a short chronological distance between the events being described and our first manuscripts. So in many ways, the Bible scholars are in a very fortunate position of being able to check these things out and finding that they are much more reliable than, for example, some of the alternatives you're looking at. And as a scholar, I am more than happy to say, I trust this, I take it very, very seriously, I rely on it. Professor F.J.A. Hort, one of the greatest scholars in the area of textual criticism, concluded that in the variety and fullness of the evidence on which it rests, the text of the New Testament stands absolutely and unapproachably alone amongst ancient prose writings. And no secular historian would disagree with that conclusion. The Bible gives us an account of creation. The account of creation in Genesis, it's agreed, was written down by Moses and it was given by God. The Jews had great oral history stories passed down from one generation to the next. But when Moses wrote this account down, the people had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. All they knew of life for generations was the world of the gods of the Egyptians. They had the stories, but their reality was very different from the reality of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Do you know what your ancestors believed 400 years ago? So God gave Moses the first five books of the Bible. The aim wasn't a scientific paper. It wasn't designed to ask the questions that our modern mind asks. Questions of molecular biology and quantum physics or astroscience. These books were written down to show the children of Israel how much God loved them and what he had done for them and what he was going to do in relationship with them. So how can we know God? Knowing God is very different from knowing about God. Even the devil and his angels believe there is a God. It is wonderful to have those descriptions in Psalms about God and creation, but the Bible says that we can know that God and we are loved by that God. We can enter a relationship with the creator of the universe the Bible tells us so. The Bible, which we saw before, is authentic and reliable. God promised us the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit and his job is to lead us into all truth. 
John 16, 13 says, but when, the, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We cannot see God, but we can know him. And we're going to look together at Colossians 1 um, with the, um, just a beautiful description of who Jesus is. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him and he existed before anything else. And he holds creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him to reconcile everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So when we see Jesus, we see God. He was humble and curious and kind. He stood against injustice with fierce anger. He stood up for the oppressed. He upheld the word of God. He fulfilled the prophecies. He lived a sinless life. And then he allowed himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified so that we could be free and healed and whole sons and daughters of God. Can I believe in science and God? Absolutely. Johannes Kepler said this, God wants us to recognise nature's laws by creating us after his own image so that we could share in his own thoughts. I had the intention of becoming a theologian but I, now I see God is, by my endeavours, also glorified in astronomy. For the heavens declare the glory of God. If you are working in the field of science, any science, then this quote is for you. God can be glorified by your endeavours. The heavens declare the glory of God. This goes for all of us. None of us has all the knowledge. None of us is perfect. But God can be glorified in our ordinary, everyday lives as we uncover the mystery of life here on earth. Scientists are thinking God's thoughts after him. We are discovering the beauty and majesty of creation. We are uncovering the symmetry of complex maths and the minute details inside an atom. We are finding new planets and galaxies we are uncovering fascinating details about the nature of light and sound. None of this is a surprise to God. But the Bible leads us to the conclusion that belief in God finds its fulfilment in the person of Jesus. His sacrifice for us frees us from sin. His resurrection provides victory over death. Jesus is the fullness of God. So my question to you this morning is this. What have you done with that? What have you done with Jesus? We're going to finish by reading a passage in Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the mindset, same mindset as Jesus Christ, 
who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our God, the creator of the universe. He has spoken in his creation and we study him in science. He has spoken in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and worship him.